Good morning, brothers and sisters, and it's great to be here this morning to share the Word of God with you. I pray that all that we have been doing thus far for the morning, the, the songs that have been sung, the lessons that has been given, has really uh, met our needs in every way possible. As you know, we have been looking into the book of Hebrews for uh, our, our messages for the last few Sundays. And this morning, I have the privilege of sharing with you Hebrews chapter 7. The title of the message is Have Confidence in Jesus. And, you know, we're going to explore and see uh, in the scriptures the importance of us having confidence in Jesus. Now, the Hebrew writer shared with the Jewish Christians in Rome the superiority of Jesus over everyone that came before him and the comparison between him and Melchizedek. There is no one greater than Jesus except the Father. He is the only way to him. Our appreciation of the Son of God must never be in doubt or easily replaced by some other concept other than what the gospel and teachings of the apostles have taught us. In other words, don't throw away your confidence in him. So, I just want to give that little prelude to the lesson uh, based on what the Christians were suffering uh, in Rome. The Jewish Christians were suffering in Rome at the time. And the importance for us uh, relating back to their situation, for even us today, whatever we may suffer, to not throw away our confidence in Christ. And we must grow in our confidence in Jesus more and more each day. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for your word. We thank you, God, for the author of this epistle, Father, Hebrews, that really helps us to help us to understand the importance of walking with you, uh, to, be, to be confident in Jesus and who he really is, God. Pray, Father, that this morning, as the scriptures is revealed to us, that we will truly make every effort to apply ourselves to what is shared, but more so, God, to have confidence in Jesus and who He is. Thank you, God, so much for you know just everyone being here. We thank you for our friends, our families, my brothers and sisters who are here with us. I would pray, God, that you know you really help us to just enjoy the time, but to learn from it also. I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. So my first point this morning is blessings, blessing and honor, blessing and honor. We look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, and it reads, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. You know, this glimpse into Melchizedek's life through him meeting Abraham allow for us to see what was what God was preparing to come. You know, the author 
epistle to the saints in this chapter truly captures through this encounter the glory of the blessings and promise, the awe of a moment captured in time, the meeting between these two men will teach us a few things. So let us go into what this is all saying to us this morning so that we get an idea of what we are being taught here this morning. Melchizedek, in verse 1, Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High, verse 1. His name means king of righteousness. He was also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, verse 2. When this is put together, it says king of righteousness and peace. Salem is now called Jerusalem. And in the Hebrew tongue, and I'm going to make the attempt to say this in the Hebrew tongue, is Yerushalayim, which means complete awe. Now, I remember in Acts chapter 2, when the church was introduced, you know, the disciples was in complete awe of the teachings of the apostles, you know, and it, I mean, and it all happened in Jerusalem. Uh, and today, we stand in awe of what has been, you know, taught back then, which is even being taught now to us, so that we remain in awe of who our God is. But this Yerushalayim means complete awe. So let's go back to verse 1. You know, Melchizedek met Abraham returning from defeating the kings. And I want to share with us Genesis uh, 14, verse 17 to 20, to give a highlight from that scripture of some things that uh, the Hebrew writer would have in his in his um, in him summarizing the scripture would have left out, but really want to bring you back to it, right? So Genesis 14, verse 17 to 20, and it reads: After Abram returned from defeating defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. This, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham, then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. You know, here we see what Melchizedek did when he came out to greet Abraham. Well, in Genesis, it is said as Abraham. After he defeated King Kedorlaomer and his allies, to rescue Lot and his family. You know, this part of the greeting really stands out. Melchizedek came out to greet Abraham with bread and wine. This right here has significance. Jesus referred to his body and blood as bread and wine. Now, just our background on what Melchizedek did with Abraham, 
uh, back then, it was a form of hospitality, you know, that he was extending to Abraham based on his defeat of this king. And this, this particular king was king over other kingdoms in the area, right? He was like the head king of all the other kings. And what happened in the 12th year, these other kings who he was king over started to rebel against his leadership uh, of each of them. And he went and he, he went out with these other allied kings that he had, and he defeated. But he, he came to Sodom, right? And when he came to Sodom, he carried away the spoils of Sodom along with people which ended up being Lot and his family. And you know that Lot is the nephew of Abraham. When one of Lot's men escaped, he, he went to Abraham, told him what had happened, and Abraham rounded up his, his men so that he can go and get back his nephew Lot. With that, this king, who was a, an, an oppressive king, was defeated by Abraham. And here we see in his return with Lot to Sodom, the king of Sodom came out. But also Melchizedek of Salem came and greeted Abraham, or Abraham, however you want to call him, but back then he was Abraham, um, with bread and wine. And I, and I pinpointed this because of the significance behind it. And we want to explore this bread and wine, how significant it was then and how significant it is now. With that greeting, um, Abraham responded a particular way. Um, and, and, and we're also going to see what Jesus meant by the things with the bread and wine that he did with his body. In John 6, 53 to 54, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no eternal life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. In Luke 22, verse 19 to 20, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So you see, Abraham was greeted with bread and wine, which is now presented to us in the new covenant in remembrance of Jesus. Another standout is Melchizedek blessing upon Abraham and Abraham honoring him by giving a tenth of the spoil, verse 20. Of Genesis. Do we honor the blessings we receive from Jesus by being generous? I want us to ponder on that a little bit. Do we honor? Do we honor the blessings we receive? And what are these blessings? You know, what made Abraham decide to give a tenth of the spoil? He came back with a lot of things after he defeated that king, you know, but he, in his meeting with Melchizedek decided this, that he's going to give a tenth. I believe it started with Melchizedek approach. Him 
offering to bless Abraham and the bread and wine he offered. Abraham, in return, honored him because of his faith and gratitude towards God Most High. He saw it fit to give to God's high priest. Why did Abraham do this? You know, this clearly shows that God's law was written on his heart. The law of love, of love expressed by faith in gratitude. Do we have that kind of love for Jesus? Expressed in faith and gratitude for what he has done for us? Something to ponder on. Ponder on. Is this our heart for the blessings received? Isn't Jesus' approach greater? He went as far as to lay down his life to bless you and me. You know, for me, I, I am thankful for Jesus. Really am. I am, I am thankful for Jesus' sacrifice because I've discovered so many weaknesses in me that I continue to hand over these weaknesses to Jesus. You know, when I think of my first time studying the Word of God and discovering that Jesus laid down his life for me, for my sins, for the things that I've been doing wrong all my life growing up, growing up, making mistakes, um, being impure in thought, uh, um, uh, when I steal from, you know, wise growing up, when I lied, when I told, when I said things bad to people, when I cuss up people, you know, all these things, Jesus paid a price for. And as I, when I became a disciple, I discovered even more weaknesses in me that sometimes was even harder to let go of. But I learned as I grow and mature in Christ, the importance of handing over these weaknesses to Jesus because of his approach. He approached my life in the most blessed way by blessing me with the opportunity to have a relationship with God. So I saw the need for me to do this. You know, I want to share about Paul and his gratitude towards Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. And it reads, Paul shares, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, just as Abraham handed over the spoils from battle to Melchizedek so God's, so God's power rests on him through the blessing, so too we must hand over the weaknesses, the spoils that spoils our lives so that God's power can rest on each of us through Jesus' blessings. And you and I need to continue to honor him, to honor Christ. You know, we, we have a great opportunity and we must not allow our weaknesses to remain our weaknesses. But the spoils of our weaknesses, which spoils our lives, we need to constantly hand it over to Jesus. And he would know how to help us. He would bless us. He has already blessed us so that we can be stronger in Christ 
because his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. But we need to hand it over to him. I hope that we've got that point and we're able to find it in our hearts to trust Jesus in that way. But lower down, I'm also going to help you understand the importance from the scriptures of having confidence in Jesus. My second point, which is have confidence in Jesus. You know, the brothers and sisters who was being persecuted decided they will return to the law. Returning to imperfection was not helpful to them. And we're going to look at some scriptures really building on this to show why. Why, why wasn't this helpful? Because, you know, everything was now in Jesus' hands. But we're going to see from the scriptures the importance of having confidence in him. Let's pick it up in Hebrews 7 verse 17. And it reads, For it is declared, you are, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Keep in mind, Jesus was declared priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, whose tribe was priest according to the law. So keep this in mind. We're going to explain as we go down. In verse 18 to 19 reads, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. So it shares the law made nothing perfect. The law did not allow for anyone to draw near to God. So it is set aside. It was weak and useless. But I'm going to also share another scripture here. Based on when Jesus came and he was talking about the law, what he said. Jesus said here in Matthew 5, 17 to 18, and it reads, Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any mean, means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You know, Jesus shares he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And none of it will disappear until everything is accomplished. That is something to ponder on. But we're going to it. You know, the Pharisees and teachers of the law could not accomplish this, right? They could not accomplish what Jesus was about to do. And in verse 20, Jesus calls us to have our righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. How do we do this? How do we surpass these guys? These guys knew so much. They were well learned. They had a lot of knowledge. But Jesus was about to show us something a bit different here where the law is concerned. Pay attention to this. In, Math in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, and I want to share this. Hear what Jesus says here after he preaches about he, what he did not come to do, but what he was about to do. 
He said here, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murder will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, let's just take that, those two verses, right? Jesus referred to the regulations before, okay? But then Jesus said, but I see. So he said, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, okay? And he outlined what was said. But then he said, but I tell you that anyone, so he's now, he's now adding, not taking away the, the, the regulation, but he's now adding something more deeper still, deeper still, to that regulation. You, you understand what I'm saying? Let's look at another one. In Matthew 5, 43 to 45, and he continues saying it like this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What is Jesus really getting at here? You know, the thing is, is that these laws were there, but they were in the form of do's and don'ts. They lacked something. They lacked something almost relatable to it. The, the people couldn't relate because it was just like hardcore. Right? And I mean, when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43, 45, he said, you have heard. Again, he used the word, you have heard. So he, he's almost like bringing up something from that was said before. But then he, he puts his part of it to it. Okay? He said, you have heard that it was said. It was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So that is what was said in the law. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But then Jesus said, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What, what do you see in what Jesus is saying here? What it is you're getting out of what Jesus is saying in these verses here? You know, what I get is that Jesus, when he came, he added the law of love, the law of love to the laws and regulations that was there before. You see, these things lacked the law of love. Because for the law to say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, it lacked the law of love. And Jesus, in his wisdom, in his goodness, wanted for those who are to surpass the Pharisees and these guys to learn something different. But the different we'll have to learn is the law of love. You know, I love the part in, in, in 45. He said that you may be children of your father in heaven. And he, he expresses what the father is doing. 
He said he, the Father causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous. Isn't that love? God, even though these people are doing things he don't agree with, he don't treat them as their sin deserves. He don't say, I will send rain alone on the righteous and no rain for the unrighteous. God don't do that. But here it is. These laws have a kind of hardcore regulation behind it. And Jesus, when he came, he put the touch of love by this, into the same laws. You know, the scripture shares in Hebrews 7, 19, a better hope is, introdu is introduced that help us draw near to God. That hope is in Jesus. In verse 20, Jesus became high priest, different to the former high priest. He became high priest through an oath, but they without an oath. I'm going to look at this oath in which Jesus became high priest. In Psalm 110.4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the oath. If you read the Psalm, right? Jesus didn't become high priest because of any other thing. He became high priest based on the oath. The, the Levi um, brothers and they who became high priests, they became high priests based on the regulation, based on the law, not Jesus. He became high priest based on that, an oath that God made that he will be high priest forever. And Roger would have explained in an expounded way about, you know, Jesus being high priest. So now we will see why we must have confidence in Jesus. And I'm going to share a few scriptures, touching on them, right? But now we will see why. In verse 16 it reads, One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Wow! You know, he's a priest, not on the basis of a regulation, as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Since Jesus has gone through the dead burial and resurrection, his life is indestructible. And we, on the basis of his indestructible life, can live by his spirit, learning from him how to have or how to live such a life. In Galatians 5, 22 to 24, and it reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. I read that again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, Against such things, there is no law. <laughs> there is no law. So what, what is the saying to us? What, what, is, what is being shared here to us? That we no longer follow the regulations. We follow Christ. His life became indestructible. 
His Spirit is in us. And His Spirit teaches us how to live that type of life. This indestructible life in Jesus is available to us. If we live through His Spirit, with that, as the scriptures say, there is no law. In verse 24, it reads, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The other freedom we can live is to have a new mindset, to crucify the flesh and its passions, deciding to no longer be enslaved to the law and enslaved to the flesh, but by submitting in walking in step with the Spirit. So we are now to walk in step with the Spirit because the Spirit gives us the fruits that we, that we need to have that will help us draw near to God. We can only get that if we walk with Jesus. Remember, higher up, it said, the law did not allow for anyone to draw near to God. So why go back to the law? Why put confidence in the law? The law is not helping. We need Jesus. He's the one that we need to depend on. In verse 25 of same uh, Galatians, Galatians 5, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'll read it again. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, this allows us freedom through Jesus to please our Heavenly Father. And all we express will be done through the law of love. That's where we want to, that's where we want to be. We want everything to be expressed through the law of love. So here's where we need to have confidence in Jesus. You know, God has approved Jesus as priest forever. God will not and have not changed his mind. God made an oath concerning this. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Hebrews 7, 21, 22, and it reads, But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So we have a better covenant, guys. Don't throw it away. We have confidence in Jesus because he can completely save. He has a permanent priesthood. He is your lawyer if you abide in him. He speaks to the Father on your behalf. Have confidence in him. And in Hebrews 7, verse 23 to 25, and it reads, Now there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Wow, what hope. How can we throw this away? He became the ultimate sacrifice. Unlike the other priests and they, they had to make sacrifice for their sins, and for the sins of the people. But Jesus has done it once for all. You know, we, have, we can have confidence in Jesus because his appointment 
was not based on the law that appointed the former high priest. In their weaknesses, Jesus was appointed by an oath after the law because he has been made perfect forever. I want you to soak that in, right? Jesus has been made perfect forever. Hebrews 7.28, and it reads, For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. I'll read that again. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Have confidence in Jesus. We can have confidence in the one who is made perfect forever. There is no one coming after him that is better than him. God's oath about his position has sealed this forever. So what do you have confidence in? The flesh? It has failed to meet God's requirement. Is it a law? It can't save us. Is it to gain the world by acquiring great wealth, to live life easy and see good days? Well, you can lose your soul. All that is left is Jesus who made the sacrifice and, ex and is exalted on high, allowing us the chance to honor the Father and please him by our faith in Jesus. This is only possible if we abide in Christ Jesus. In John 15, verse 5 to 8, and it reads, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, without Jesus, you can do nothing. Have confidence in him. So it is clear your confidence in Jesus will be richly rewarded if you and I abide in him. But it will also show us up as belonging to him. Do not be ashamed of who he is helping you to become. You may even be persecuted for being like him. But stand firm, just as your brothers and sisters in the first century church was encouraged to do the same. Brothers and sisters, friends and those who are visiting, have confidence in Jesus. If, if you're coming out for the first time or you have been here for a while, ask the person who has brought you out to service and ask them how, how you can learn more about you growing in your confidence and understanding of Jesus so that you now can start to walk in practice and learn to abide in him learning how to live your life to please Jesus. It was great sharing these things with, with you today, and I pray that you all have a blessed day.